Welcome to Game Brain, a podcast about board games and our gaming group. I am Trey Alsup, and I am your host for this very special episode. A deep dive into the game Agricola, the state of the game, and a look under the hood at the numbers that drive competitive play. This is round 15, turn 9, and our guest today is Lumen Sperling. Lumen is a top-ranked Agricola player and expert, a friend of ours. Welcome, Lumen. Hello, hello. <laughs> we And also joining me to pick Lumen's brain is our very own game enthusiast, Matt Robinson. Hello, hello. I, I would like to be called... Um the uh the agricola enthusiast now as i think that is the only game i currently play or think about yeah what something has happened to you what has happened to for those this is bad it's bad what do you mean bad how is that possibly bad well here's why it's bad and this has probably happened to you as well i now have a new question in my head every single time i sit down to play a board game which is why am i playing this instead of agricola and I, mm-hmm. I'm rarely able to answer that in a way that satisfies me. It, it's kind of killed the hobby for me in a weird way. And like, here, okay, I'll just right. give you a brief. So for, for the last two and a half months, Agricola has kind of taken over my game brain in a way that I, I always knew it would, but I never allowed it to. I mean, I, for like a couple of years ago, I had this whole thing where it's like, I'm dedicating my year to Agricola. This is the year I finally get good at it. This is the year I finally just like make it, give it the time it deserves and get obsessed with it. And then I have like my second kid and years went by. And then I don't know, somewhere mid January, well, I know what happened. Agricola went to Board Game Arena. That's what changed it. The ability to actually watch people play it on stream and then play it myself completely changed the, my, my ability to engage with the game on a deep level and allowed me to learn how to play by watching others and then gave me a place where 24-7, I can click a button and within a few minutes be playing a game with usually pretty decent players and have a great experience, which is, that didn't exist two years ago. I mean, it did on Play Agricola, but there's it, there, there, it was a lot more intimidating to me, Play Agricola, than, than BGAs, as I assume it is for many people. Yeah, well, let me say one thing, and I, I think your, your gaming hobby experience has not been killed. It's just been changed for the better. I, I don't disagree, but it really, like, to me, this is like what I thought 18xx would do to me that it didn't. I thought 18xx would become a lifestyle part of my hobby that kind of eclipses the rest of it. Because there was a moment there where I got really into 18xx and I was like, oh, I could see this being the thing where, I, why am I not playing 18xx and instead playing this brand new middleweight Euro? And that it didn't last. I ended up sort of being like, no, I don't. And, and I think the difference is that I couldn't just sit down at any point and click a button and be playing 18xx. Also, 18xx takes seven hours and Agricola takes 90 minutes. So that's a huge difference for my lifestyle in general. So to be able to have all these people streaming, all these people playing online and have it where, you know, for a person who can treat it like a solo game, basically, because I don't have time because of my job and my kids to set a weekly Agricola night or give it enough time that it needs. So now, it, now it's like, I have full access to it, 24 hours a day, playing with people all over the globe. There's always somebody ready there to play. And it's totally made it accessible. And to me, totally ruined like my desire to play almost anything else. Lumen, you, so. you play other games. You're not, you're not like this poor creature. You're, we've had Lumen on the podcast I, I before out. As, a, as a Catan expert. 
Jesse had you on originally as a Catan expert, and now right. And you're also very good at Terramistica. You yeah, are I'd a like competitive game player. Yes, I, I've become that over the years, but it it didn't start that way. I mean, when I when I started in the hobby, I was pretty much only a Catan expert, and I didn't really play anything else besides Catan. Then when I got into Agricola, it really was, I only want to play Agricola and some Catan on the side. And, you know, it, it's taken a long time for me to even accept 10 other games into my life. Well, Matt, I think yeah, I'm going to call a little yeah. bit of nonsense on this because you, you, you were not always like, oh, Agricola is this great game. I just haven't had time to play it. When we did our top no. 20 list no, no. a few years ago, I don't believe Agricola was in your top 20. 100% was not. And I did a great debate episode with Tom where we were both arguing the merits of Vital Lacerda versus uh, Uwe Rosenberg. And I took the Vital Lacerda side and I'm pretty sure I absolutely destroyed him in that. Uh, but even afterwards, I said, I didn't, I, I wanted your side <laughs> because I actually don't think Vital Lacerda is anywhere near as good as of a designer as Uwe Rosenberg. And that is not a diss to Vito Lacerda. I just don't think anyone is as good of a designer as Uwe Rosenberg, just in terms of the, how many of his games I absolutely adore. Um, but yeah, it's funny. No, and, and, and I hated Agricola when I first got into the hobby. Hated it. But, but I was very open about why I hated it. It was like, there's 400 cards here. You, I don't know them. I come to game night you know, once a week and we pull it out twice a year and it's just a miserable experience for me because it's like, you guys know all these cards. I don't. I, I, and I, I just, it's a very intimidating and painful experience. But like once, like because of BGA now, because of the ability to play and watch and study, now I know these cards and now it's opened up and it's a wild experience and it's so much fun. And But like, it's still, I think, to somebody who only plays it twice a year, I, I can't really recommend it as a game. This is not a game you just dabble in every once in a while, and I think you get much enjoyment out of. I think I can agree that it takes a, some investment of plays and time to really appreciate it for what it is. And I do really want to later get into that point on knowing the cards, because I did come up with something to put in the show notes here that, mm. like, I have a different opinion on that. But No, oh, it's awesome. I remember when I first played well, I, this, I, I, I would, like 15 years ahead. ago, and I, I wouldn't. I immediately thought it was my the best game I had ever played. I, I did not get hooked where I did. I couldn't stop playing it. But 15 years ago, I don't think there was really a way to play it that much. And I think in our gaming group, um, I played it more, and other people wouldn't play it with me anymore. And so, uh, unless I was going to be part of that group, and they do exist here in LA. I don't know if they still exist, but like there was a, some groups of people that just played Agricola every weekend and they would get together and they would play three or four times and that's what, what they would do. That was, that was, that was their Saturday, but our gaming group didn't, didn't do that. Lumen, why don't you, um, for people that don't know, why don't you give people a little background uh, other than being a Catan expert of, of, of what, of who you are and, and what your relationship with Agricola is. Uh, sure. So, I, as I said earlier, I came into the gaming hobby as a Catan player. Um, and even before that, it was a friend of mine in high school who kept getting board games for the holidays. He had a, a cousin who was really into the hobby. So me and my friend started playing Carcassonne and Catan and Ticket to Ride a lot. And then there was this other game he got as a gift called Agricola. We took one look at the rule book and said no. 
<laughs> and so obviously mm. the other games are a lot easier to get into and master. Um, once I started playing a lot of Catan, I started playing online. I started coming to game conventions to try to win tournaments in Catan. You know, I start seeing Agricola is still around. And then I learn about Board Game Geek and it's number one on Board Game Geek. So eventually I got the curiosity, bought the app Agricola for my iPad and started playing it a crap ton and haven't stopped playing a crap ton in, I think it's five mm. or six years now that I, uh, since then. Uh, so played a lot in person on the app on pretty much any website you can play Agricola on. I've, I've played a lot there. Right why should now, we accept that you are an expert? Cause you're an expert. Why, why should we accept that yeah, you're an expert? So, I can call myself the U.S. national champion. Uh, in 2017, I won the U.S. national championship sponsored by the publisher. They sent me to Germany to play in the world championship. And I'm still the national champion because they haven't held another world, uh, national championship since then. <laughs> um, aside from that, uh, my besides that. win percentage on, on Play Agricola, I'd like to think is pretty respectable at around 35% playing against the best players in the world four-player games. Uh, on Board Game Arena, I've managed to get a pretty high rating. Uh, people seem to take my advice when it comes to the content for Agricola I make. I don't yeah, know what else I, people can I find you on, well, I, I would also Twitch. say... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would say that, like, I I, I learned to, to, to enjoy, and I, I will not say I learned to play, because I, I still... Uh, am learning to play, but I learned to really enjoy and see Agricola as a beautiful game via watching uh, Lumen's streams on Twitch and and hearing his thought processes and watching his creativity and his card choices and his drafting decisions. Um, it just really opened up the game to me. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, being able to sit inside somebody's head who has a very strong understanding of the game and watch them, you know, talk through their their thinking on every move they make and it really i think that's also what really i love about agricola is that it it is actually really fun to watch it's a great spectator board game and very few board games are but the fact that the game is sort of bifurcated into these two sections of drafting and then the actual game itself makes it a really exciting gives it this great arc gives it almost a great two-act structure to it that's really fun to watch you know, even sometimes I'll tune into a stream and just watch the draft because that's so fun. And then later on, I'll come back and see how it all worked out. But it, it, it's really, I think that's what makes it a special game is that it's its really fun to watch. And because it's a game that not only uh, really rewards a strong understanding of the game, but also a flexibility and a creativity that I think a lot of games don't. And it's also simple. It's, its you know, it's, you, you, you know, there's, you can sort of, really see all the, the future moves that, that this person is planning and, and hoping for. And, you know, the rule set, you know, obviously compared to lighter games is, is, is heavy by most standards, but for heavy gamers, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty clear, simple game. It's just, you know, worker placement spot is blocked. Can't go there anymore. What are you going to do next? Well, in case people haven't I mean, figured I would out, like to... we are, uh, sorry. One, for one thing is, unfortunately, I'm recording from Texas today over Zencaster, so we're going to get a little bit of those overlaps where we're talking over each other, or at least I'm talking over other people, so I apologize uh, for that first and foremost. But we are deviating from the format a bit today. Um, no review. We've already recommended Agricola highly. 
But uh, we do want you to stick around, even if you're not a giant fan of Agricola, because we're going to be talking about a number of things today that ap apply to playing board games, uh, playing competitive play in general. And, and we also want to look at like the numbers that drive the underlying mechanisms of games and how we should think about balance. So, um, Lumen, I cut you off. What were you going to say? Uh, yeah, I was going to follow up on what Maddie was saying about the arc of Agricola and one of the reasons Agricola is great for that. The way I like to break that down is that in the beginning during the draft, you can only depend on strategy and long-term planning for your game. But once the game starts, that's when you have to start piecing in tactical decisions. Tactical decisions being uh, the very short-term moves you have to make to make sure that the rest of your long-term moves work out and really moving from strategy into complete tactics by the end game i think very or all games do that to some degree but agricola really does it awesomely yeah. would you call and for and, the break and, and, and 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 a really cool sorry Trey. a, a really yeah, cool we, we, meta forms as well like it like it does in, in so many great games of you know, especially because the game is a, in, in many aspects, you know, a card game, even though you guys last last week on the episode said Agricola is not a card game. It, it it shares a lot of things in common with a card game in that it has sort of a rotating library of cards that are coming in and out, especially, you know, in, an, in a tournament setting of, you know, sort of what the format is and metas form around what cards are strong and weak. And the fact that we have multiple streamers in Agricola is really interesting because I've, over my short span of two and a half months playing the game and watching streamers, have watched as card rankings have shifted based on the meta and based on people seeing streamers do cool things with cards that they didn't think were possible. And, and those cards then become higher ranked or lower ranked because they're finding them not to be as powerful. And that all makes a really fun competitive setting that makes me, that reminds me of when I was uh, you know, playing competitive Netrunner for multiple years. And and this is as close as I've gotten to that community feel again, where it's like, you've got, you know, a couple thousand people in the world all putting their brains together to try to like really find the optimal way to play this game. And nobody can, because there is no optimal way because people are always finding new fun ways to, to you know, quote unquote, break things. Um, and that's what keeps the game alive and interesting. I do want... Um... I do want. I think you're right that there's some nice comparisons between this and other card games, in that there is a meta. The meta can evolve. The card pool can change. Um, you know, per perceptions do matter. Uh, people like, like you said, the reviews have changed. I think Econ Sean did a a re-review of a lot of his cards recently, in which he changed his views pretty radically. I think a lot of that goes towards certain certain cards require a great deal of skill to play um, correctly, or it may just take time to um, understand them. But yeah, hopefully we didn't come down on like a no, Agricola is not a card game type of thing, because it does share a lot of... No, you didn't. It was in the conversation, are, uh... so yeah. All right, why don't we get to our, our one piece of news here for today. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nob of South American. All the ships and clippers at sea, let's go to press flight. Matt, what's our one piece of news? Uh, it's the 15th anniversary of Agricola. Uh, Trey said he first played Agricola 15 years ago, and that is correct, because it's the 15th anniversary, and they are coming out with what they are calling Agricola 15, which, when you look at it, looks like 
Agricola 2015 to me for some reason or something. It looks like like an old copy of Madden, you know, 2003 or something. Great call. It's, Great call. Yeah, it's it's going to sit weird on the shelf, I think, because it looks like Agricola. It looks like, you know, the year and not the anniversary. I don't know. They should have called it Agricola 15th anniversary edition or something on the box. But either way, uh, Lumen, can you tell us a bit what's in this box? Since I think you know more than I do. Uh. I've only uh, I only know what the the press releases have said. Uh, it contains the revised edition of the game, the base set. It includes the first two full expansions, the artifacts and sorry, Latin speakers, Babulchus expansions A and B. Uh, it includes some promo items. The exact cards and promos are unknown. I don't know what novelties they refer to. Apparently, it's going to have a well-organized inlay, 200 tokens, and over 270 wooden components. So it's really going to be a spruced-up set. Uh, It's also going to contain 430 cards, which, as far as I can tell, when I do the math on 430 cards, that, to me, looks like the base set. The 96 cards in the current console Diragens expansion and those two expansion decks A and B. That adds up to 432. So I'm guessing that's what the 430 is referring to. I, I wonder if there is any relation to this and, and its success on Board Game Arena, because this almost looks like a very similar card set to what we may soon see on Board Game Arena. It definitely will have all the cards we see right now on Board Game Arena. Well, not all, because there are a handful of cards from C and D that are in use. Um, but it, it it would seem relevant that, or, or at least appropriate that they that they sort of because when I first got into board game arena Agricola, it was hard for me to put together the exact card set that they have on there. Mostly because Console Durgens was was not out in the states yet; it just came out this month. I had to import it from Europe. But you know, it wasn't even easy really sussing out what exact cards were in there. I think I had to go to one of your lists or a forum post you put together listing the exact cards that are in there. Um, but that was important to me as someone who's trying to learn the game to actually have the physical thing in front of me so I could study the cards and stuff. So this this seems like a really good like entryway into also being able to you know participate in the online version of Agricola on BGA. Absolutely, yeah. Can someone translate here? So the is when we see console dirigens, is that just the C and D decks that we're playing with? No, on BGA right so, now. No, it's it's a it's a pretty long story. Uh, there are six miniature sets of Agricola miniatures that come with 20 cards each that were published pretty soon after the base game came out. And they were published by WizKids, which as far as I know, I don't really know anything about the miniatures worlds. Uh, but I think WizKids does a lot of publishing related to miniatures games. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so somehow WizKids got the rights to produce these miniatures for Agricola coming in six different colors. So like blue, red, purple, you know, whatever colors are in the Player colors, Agricola yeah. box. Right. Uh, and along with the licensing for the miniatures, they got to print 20 cards per set in advance of the cards being published in the quote-unquote, normal expansion timelines. So those 120 cards that can be found in the miniatures decks are what got added to the base set and is available on Board Game Arena. 
Okay, so if we Who take this that card call, if yeah. you can answer that question. Yeah. I legitimately don't know. Uh, Mayfair Games, which went out of business after publishing revised Basic Ricola at some point, uh, according to people I talked with from Mayfair, it they were not happy that WizKids mm. got the rights. So it wasn't Mayfair's decision. That's all I know. Hmm. Is this card set, like, do we think that this card set that's going to come out in this, is that going to be the card set of the game going forward? Or, and maybe this is leading to some other things we're going to discuss today. Like, is, is that a set of cards that will still need to be curated for competitive play? Or do we not know? It needs to be curated a bit, but it needs less curation than any other big group of cards that currently exists for Revised. I do like this collection of 430 cards a lot. And yeah, I would recommend these as the expansions to buy first, the ones that are going to come in Agricola 15, supposedly. Right. But, but you're still saying first. We, people probably shouldn't regard this as like, once I get this box, I will have everything. That's not what this is. It's just going to no, be like I think a really good start. Said this is, yeah. this is Right, this is not a deluxe edition, according to the publisher. So, well, maybe this is a way of. Well, that's also one of the cool the, things. Uh... Well, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I was just saying that's one of the cool things about Agricola is that like you could make this your desert island box and never add to it, and probably be fine for ten years and get two thousand plays out of it. Um, or you could also add, you know, four hundred more cards to it and get four thousand more plays out of it. It's really just like you know. It's one of those things where, you know, the based revised game of Agricola probably could get a little stale in, in your home meta or your game meta after 100 games, which, by the way, you've still gotten your money's worth out of it by a crazy amount. But, yeah, what, you know, with this many cards in this card pool, I think, I think you know, people could very happily just be done. And you're, you're only missing out on more cards, which if you're not bored of the cards you have yet, what do you need them for? Let's... So let's... That maybe that's a good jumping off point towards like the history of playing Agricola online. Because I think what we're talking about now is like, is there a set of cards to play with? And it seemed like at some point there kind of was. I mean, I kind of grew up in the EIK world, which was the the initial sets. But then we continued to get like these additional packs. And like Matt, you were saying, because I think this was in some ways after my time, like doesn't there exist on Play Agricola right now like a set of what was considered to be like a fairly well-balanced, complete, complete set of 400-some-odd cards that everyone agreed was a pretty good mix that we should play the game competitively with? I, I think... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You can answer this one. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, so, no, please, you. So I think every regular on Play Agricola since these decks came out would agree that EIK plus the World Championship deck, plus the France deck, is an absolutely fantastic set of cards if you ban eight of them. And that, I think, comes out to 550 cards, roughly. So what, it, what yeah. is playing? I, I went ahead... Sorry, I, I was just going to say, I, 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 my obsession led me to seek out that exact card set after hearing many play Agricola players saying it was sort of the the most enjoyable card set, you know, thus far put together. And I was able to piece that together via 
Trey, thank you very much, who had bought every single Agricola expansion, I think, and had them all. And they're now, each one of them is probably worth somewhere between $100 and $200 each. And I told Trey, he showed me a picture of all of his Agricola expansions. I was like, Trey, you have like $1,200 in Agricola cards here. I just want you to know that. <laughs> like, if you, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you ever needed to, like, you know, pay for a quick trip to Mexico or something or a vacation, you could just sell all your Agricola cards because you got a lot of, you got a lot of dose in there. But I was like, I need to have these two decks. Uh, and Trey was, really, really generous and said, if you will enjoy them, just take them for now. I'll let you know if I ever need them back. So I, I've luckily sitting on this beautiful set, thanks to Trey, that I'm very happy to own and excited to uh, dive into. Yeah, Trey, you were going to say something? No, I'm just let's let's uh, let's bring the the listeners along here. What is what is playagricola.com and like uh, Lumen, maybe you're the right person to walk us through the evolution of playing Agricola online. Sure. So playagricola.com uh, is a website that uh, obviously you can play Agricola on, but its existence is more or less allowed by the publisher as the primary source of playtesting for a bunch of new decks throughout Agricola's history. Uh, so they help playtest Uve's designs, and I was a part of playtesting most of the revised expansion decks. Uh, but before I got there, players helped playtest other decks that have come out also. Um, and in addition to playtesting Uve's decks, they've also created their own decks and curated great collections of decks. Uh, the first three curated sets of Play Agricola decks are the Gamers deck, the G deck, the WM deck, the World Championship deck, and the France deck. And I don't really think it's a coincidence that two of the five main decks in this base set we've been talking about are created by Play Agricola players and play tested and, you know, balanced well. And part of the so, reason they do play that Agricola is they... exists. Yeah, play play Agricola tracks plays, and this has been the giant yes. source of data in order to determine the the power or the value of each of these cards because it has created this enormous sample size in which we you you don't right. have to guess how good these cards are. the The data demonstrates how good certain cards are. Right. And the statistical measure of how good cards are is called power. Uh, so, you know, there can be debates on how good of a tool power is, but a hand-wavy thing I will tell everyone to, in, as a reason to trust power is that the creator of PlayAgricola.com came up with power and the, Chris, the, the creator of PlayAgricola, is a super highly rated data scientist. So you can actually go to Kaggle.com, which is a hub for data science people, and find Chris's profile as literally one of the top data science people in the world. Ooh. Wow. So I, I hope that gives people some reason to trust what power is and how good of a measurement it is to achieve the goal. Um, so Trey, I know you also asked about the history of Agricola online and play Agricola is just one piece of that. Boitajou.net is a French gaming website that has had the game Agricola coded. It only has a subset 
of the first three base decks of the original edition. And each interaction is hard-coded programmed onto the website. And uh, a couple of them are programmed wrong. So uh, for, for most people, it's not going to matter. And for the people who it matters for, they know the differences in the coding and stuff like that. Uh, but it's a fantastic place to play the original edition of the game uh, while you're learning the game. And that's one place where I really <laughs> honed my skill was playing against random people on Bois um, so with Bois de Joux and Play Agricola, Board Game Arena, as, as Matt has, uh, really been happy about, came out with the game last year, um, and is now the, by far, number one place, uh, where people gather to play Agricola, just in terms of raw play count. I think it's somewhere around 250,000 total games of Agricola have at least started i think maybe that's the finished number it includes solo games and two-player games so you know it's not quite exactly two hundred fifty thousand plays uh in a traditional sense but you know the game's only been on the website for less than a year and to have six figures of plays is ridiculous that's Matt, roughly Matt, you, the you, you... play count of sorry yeah you were saying that board game arena is kind of like what has spawned your 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 recent <laughs> interest and maybe this is why we're kind of taking the time to revisit agricola and is, is that this is a good time for people to get into it um it it feels like the bga interface is pretty solid for playing the game it's it's i, I never played bois de jour but it's certainly easier than playing on play agricola which was not the most user-friendly i would say no, it's not. Yeah. I mean, I literally have YouTube videos that take 40 minutes to, to watch in order to really get how to play play Agricola. And that's the concise and, and, version. And so. I've watched them all. And and I and, and I was I had played board games many times on a similar sort of looking interface called Vassal, which a lot of people play war games on. And I had played a lot of war games online. That's sort of a peer-to-peer um, online implementation, not web-based. Um, but but it was similar, and even still, I was a bit intimidated by it. I was I was also more intimidated. I just feel like you, the players on Play Agricola, were all pretty strong, and I felt like I always felt like it was it was a bit hard for a new player to come in because I just felt like I'd be boring people. Whereas on BGA, you know, because of the Elo rankings and because of simple play, there's you, you can be playing at people below your level or at your level or slightly above your level. And you're, you all feel like you're learning something and I don't have to, you know, ruin somebody's afternoon by start playing behind them and destroying their game and, you know, them smashing their keyboard and wishing I would quit Agricola and go play something else. So, <laughs> but yeah, BGA is, is, you know, it's, it's web-based. You can play it on your phone. You can play it on your iPad. You can play it on your Android. You can play it on your laptop. You can play it on your PC, which is what makes it superior to anything else. You don't need, you know, uh, an RTX 3080 graphics card. You don't need any graphics card. You just need a working computer and a stable internet connection, and you can play anywhere in the world. And that's what's lovely, too. I mean, I, I played a game against a guy in, in the Ukraine the other day. And, you know, there, there's, there's a cool global community that you feel is there, and you're regularly playing with people all over the world in different time zones. And there's no language barrier needed because we all... You know, the cards are translated in your own native country's language when you're playing them. And, uh, you know, you don't need to communicate with each other at all because all the communication happens through 
the playing of the game together. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a wildly accessible format and, and, and very stable. Someday we may be able to access all of those games and, and gain a lot from the data. But I think the, the origin of this particular episode was that I saw um, Lumen, you had linked in your profile to a thread in which you had kind of done some initial statistical breakdowns of plays of Agricola on, on Board Game Arena. And I think originally you were saying like, okay, there's two main reasons that we want to look at you know, data of on the plays of Agricola. And one of them is determining the, you know, the, the best cards, the value of cards. And the other was uh, looking at the advantages of, or disadvantages of certain start position in, in the game. So maybe let's define some of our terms here a little bit. We, we threw out power with before PWR, we threw out ELO. Do you want to explain to folks at home what those things are? Yeah, so power is simply a statistic that tells you how often a card shows up on the winner's board. So if a card has very high power, it is highly correlated with winning, more so than other cards. Uh, Then there's another statistic called ADP, which stands for average draft position. So in the Agricola draft, you can see on average is this card picked first or second? Is this card like a seventh pick usually? Is this card somewhere in the middle? So that is important information to help you draft. And then there's rating. ELO is a type of rating that assumes you are a certain level and based on the result of your game adjusts what it thinks your level is based on if you won or lost. Uh, ELO was created for chess. Uh, The creator of ELO is named ELO, and that's where it gets its name. Uh, And because it was created for chess, it's a great rating system for two-player games. But when you apply it to multiplayer games, I think it doesn't do a great job. And I'll try not to bore anyone with actual statistical (laughs) talk here, but I'll try to hopefully give an idea later of why that is. Yeah, I think I, I would be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Would it, because ELO, at least for, for Board Game Arena, it's a it's an easy way to do matchmaking, right? So that you're playing other players that are of comparable skill, um, hopefully. Uh, I don't, Board Game Arena does that? or Does it try to do yeah. that type of matchmaking? I mean, a lot of gaming systems do, especially console systems, where you're, you're dropping in and you want to play, um, you know, pe- people that are about your level. It seems like on Board Game Arena, right. the way they approach uh, ELO is because it's not a head-to-head matchup, it treats every, you know, like you're playing every player in the game head-to-head so that if you finish second in the game, you lost to the first player, but you beat the third and fourth. Correct. Is that correct? Yeah. That's absolutely correct. And that's actually one of the reasons ELO is bad for multiplayer games is that it instead of treating it as one game, it treats it as it was three head-to-head games for you and three other head-to-head games in the game that you weren't involved in. And another thing, like, ELO doesn't care if you just barely won or just barely lost or got crushed. It's just a binary you won or you lost thing. Is that right? Correct. And based on the rating difference at the start of the game, that will affect how many points you win or lose at the end of the game. 
Right, because ELO is essentially going to make a prediction based upon your rating and the other player's rating that should over... Like, if the system's working right, it should fairly accurately say, like, okay, this player... Player A is better than player B. Player A should win this matchup 80% of the time. And over large amounts of data sets, they'll find that actually, yes, players with this ELO difference win 80% of the time. And so we should... We shouldn't expect them to win every time. We should expect them to win four out of five times. Yep. But at that same time, they're trying to figure, especially when you're at low player counts, they may not have a really accurate view of who you are yet. The system has to kind of treat you as a noob initially until you, over time, kind of show them how how good you are. And I think you were hinting at like some other uh, systems that like consoles have used in order to rate players where it almost like retroactively goes back and rescores your games later on. Was I reading that? Kind of like corrective correctly where it's what what am i referring to yeah that's that's absolutely right that's absolutely right so the the rating system you're referring to is called true skill and it was originally created by microsoft to rate their halo matchmaking long ago i think like halo one or halo two um and true skill is a rating system that accounts for multiplayer formats and also has the ability to rank people using an individual score when you're playing team games. Mm-hmm. So True Skill is a much more flexible rating system that is meant for multiplayer games and has a lot of nice mathematical properties if you dive into it. So one of the things True Skill does better than Elo is True Skill doesn't care about the order if you lost first and then won. But with ELO, the way ELO's math works, you actually can abuse ELO to do all your losing first and then do all your winning mm. and end up with a higher ELO than if you do the reverse. True skill won't let that happen. Especially so with asymmetric like a, games. I mean, with uh, yes. games, people playing timed games, I find that happens too. Is that a, and that's a recency bias, essentially, is what it's, it's kind of like what you're talking about. Yes. Right? And it, yes, okay. Yeah. All right, so... Um, tell us about, you are currently playing Arena on Board Game Arena. You're playing Agricola as, as, as part of their Arena tournament. Can you explain to people what that is and how that works? Yeah, so if you play on Board Game Arena, there are, let's call them three modes you can play in. You can play a simple game, which is just like a one-off game. You create a table, people join, and you play a game. You can play a tournament, which is, uh, you have a variety of different tournament formats. People set up a tournament, you click join, and then you're assigned to a whole bunch of games, either live or turn-based. Then there's Arena. And Arena is BGA's competitive format. And it basically is standardized for each game. So for Agricola, there's an exact same setup that all Arena mode games use. In the arena season, you basically get a second ELO rating, ELO-style rating, that's your arena score. And at the end of the season, whoever has the highest arena score wins the arena season and gets extra internet points. <laughs> so I had a question about this. So it seemed to me, that does, but the system rewards you for, does it reward you for continuing to play? Yes. I mean, so for example, I, I you can't just like win said. twenty games and retire, and and then win the tournament and win the, the arena, right? Like, or right. So this 
this arena elo, if you will, I think is inflated and favors additional plays. I think it is purposely a bit more inflationary than an otherwise ideal elo system would be. And if it's inflationary, that will naturally encourage more plays over time to, so that there are more points around to be taken from uh, the weaker players to the stronger players. Okay, so the you also can't just camp forever, right? Because you can't camp because after a certain amount of time, your elo disappears, I think, if you don't play. The arena elo does not disappear. So you can you can camp the arena season if you think you have a sufficiently big lead in arena elo, but late in the season, as the arena ratings inflate, that is harder and harder to do. Right. The inflationary nature yeah. of the thing means you 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 can't do that because um like at this at, you know, right now, um, Lumen, there there's times this season where like you have you been as high as number one? In in the arena, yeah, I've been number one a couple times, right? And it and it and it can bounce around, but like your rating when you're number one might be lower than it is now, as when you're not number one. Is that is that accurate or not? Yes, so that's true. So effectively, my peak arena rating when I had it, I was number two, and when I was number one, I have had higher arena scores than the score I had when I was number one and that score when I was number one would right now be good for number five, let's say, uh, because we're very near the end of the arena season. So many arena points have been thrown into the system. Uh, so higher ratings are, exist right now. And how long is a season? Roughly three months. Um, I've heard that uh, they might do a shorter season or two to experiment. I don't actually know the details, but for the most part, they've been three months long. Cool. Seems like it's a good way to get people to keep playing on board game arena. If that, if that was, the, if that was the goal, it seems to be getting, you know, there's a little bit of, I feel like there's some gamification there where you, you, you find yourself coming back because I've, for example, I've seen people, streamers, talking about, you know, farming their arena rating. Like, you've got to get your plays in to get your, your rating up. Um, and I'm not sure, like, tr- in a real ELO system, I'm not sure you could do that. Um, you could just become better, and so your ELO would go up. Whereas I think you do see people who are like, no, i gotta, I got to get some plays in if you're going to kind of, like, compete at the end. And all these sites just want people playing in general. Yeah, <laughs> Well, right, I mean, so- I'll say that where I'll say that wherever there is a metagame, there will be gamification. So whether that's the standard ELO you have on BGA or the arena rating on BGA, you know, there will be people that care a lot about it. And Agricola also isn't chess. There is, you know, a, a random element to it. The best player will not always win, especially in a four player game, especially if there is, you know, a chaos element of a bad player in there that could you know, really affect one of the better players and and trash their game. And also you often can draft in an unflexible way where you're banking on early growth or late growth or early reno and things like that. And if you get, you know, the actions to pop up when you need them, you're unstoppable. And if you don't, you've got an uphill battle. That's certainly true. All right. So let's go back to this kind of like, maybe core element in our opinion, or, or at least 
part of the appeal, like the part of the appeal of Agricola is this card pool. And it's also the thing, I think Matt, you identified this as something that other people have bounced off of. It's like, ah, oh, there's this huge card pool. I can't figure it out. Um, I think a lot of the skill I had as kind of a, a, a mid-range Agricola player, not someone who got, you know, hundreds of reps online, though, was that I got to know the card pool, at least at one point about eight years ago. And part of that was actually like looking at the data of the cards on playagricola.com. Like I became a better player by by looking at the data. And so maybe let's talk about like how that works in this game. Like card knowledge is important is an important element. And I, I wrote here um, that I said that I thought that card knowledge was like an element of skill in Agricola. And Lumen, you thought there was a better way to to put this of, of like how we should think about this when it comes to Agricola. Right. So I think a lot of people get intimidated when they see a pile of 200, 300, 500 unique cards and don't know any of them. And something that not only I say, but a lot of experts say is that you don't actually need to know the cards as much as you need to understand both the time valued payout of the card and the opportunity cost of playing the card, to borrow a couple of economics terms. So if you can analyze how much a card gives you and when, and what you're giving up in order to play that card at that time, you don't need to know what the card is called. You don't need to know its power rating. You don't need to know what average draft position it's in. But that is what I think is most important about understanding cards. Now, it does definitely take some experience to understand how much payout I'm expecting from this card. What am I giving up in order to play that card right now with my move? I think those, like, you have to take the whole, whole idea into account. But as Trey said, that's, uh, like, reading power ratings is a great way to start learning what payouts are good, what opportunity costs are smaller than others. Yeah, I, I've actually really, as somebody who's only been heavily playing this game for two and a half months now, I've really gone through this whole learning curve recently where I was wildly intimidated by the card pool. But what I, what I came to learn eventually was I just needed to learn how to play the game to understand card value. And where now, now what's fun is that now that I have this, you know, uh, WMFR, you know, EIK deck, I go through it and my understanding of Agricola, I now feel like I could put together a tier list that wouldn't be wildly far off from somebody very experienced with that deck's tier list. Because I sort of understand now which cards are powerful, what, what makes value. There is a certain knowledge of knowing within a card set if the card set is... You know, uh, if there's if, if it's if there's a lot of food in the card set, if there's a lot of read, if there isn't a lot of clay, things like that can be valuable of knowing like, oh, you know, read is more valuable in this card set because there are less read injection cards. Things like that can be valuable that can change the value of a card within the set. But outside of that, I'm able now, I feel like, to really understand, whereas a new player looks at a card like Small Scale Farmer which is a card that seems wildly valuable when you're first learning how to play because you're like, well, why wouldn't I want one wood for free every round? And the more you play, you start realizing it's actually quite a niche card that is powerful in very specific situations. And cards like Carrot Museum that have so much text on them and make you think, I, have, I don't even understand what this card does. Once you really start understanding the game, you see like, oh, this is actually quite a powerful card if you build around it. So things like that that I've naturally 
gone through the learning curve of, I have also backpedaled in my own opinion on how important it is to have memorized cards. Whereas it's just more important to understand the fundamentals of the game. And then you can actually start really valuing cards accurately, I think. I'm really glad to hear that you have this opinion after what I would consider a short time of diving into Agricola. Um, it's something I worry about when I when I tell people that is, are people actually going to believe me when I say that you don't really need to memorize the cards, but really glad to hear yeah, firsthand. I, I- I do still think that somebody needs to sort of hold your hand and teach you Agricola, though. I mean, look, you could also just play it 300 times and probably figure these things out on your own. But I'm not sure I would have gotten there to learn the fundamentals without having streamers like you, uh, you know, showing me how to play the game and show or at least showing me how you play the game and then me figuring out you know, what, what's working and what isn't and, 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 and sort of just, you know, the fundamentals. So that, that still was a time commitment for me. It, you know, it was, it, I, I'm just feeling now slightly comfortable in my understanding of the fundamentals of Agricola. And yeah, that has nothing to do with memorizing cards, even though now on stream, I could tell you what every single card does just by looking at its card art, which is kind of terrifying that I could do that at this point. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit of the growth of the meta of things too. They're like, I'm just as, as someone who has watched uh, Lumen's card analyses with, with two other Agricola experts. And I know that like there were some radically different opinions about cards from experienced players. And that I would imagine like Lumen, your own thoughts about all of these cards have changed uh, over, you know, you already had a really good base of information, but sometimes it does like, it took me sometimes for certain, you you have to be beaten over the head to be told that certain cards are really good and you need to you need to get the collective knowledge of like this is how you use this card it doesn't look good here's why it is good and you're just not appreciating this aspect of it yet i mean um matt and i played a game last week in which you know i drafted big country first because i know it's a really strong card but i also didn't have the courage of my convictions because i didn't feel like oh i don't really know how to play this card like, I know it's really good, and I didn't just autoplay it, but I also didn't have the knowledge mm-hmm. of, like, okay, this this actually... Not that it necessarily requires skill. I'm not saying this is a high skill card. It's not a high skill card. But you do have to have, like, some experience there to know what you're actually supposed to do with this thing. It didn't. It's not necessarily super powerful on first reading, but it actually is. Oh, it was a late growth, late urgent game too. He would have destroyed us by like 20 points if he had played it. <laughs> it sometimes it is Sometimes it is just best to dive in and try it once and see what you can come up with. But yeah, I agree. Like I wouldn't know as much as I know without being beaten over the head with things too. Yeah. It, it's part of the learning curve in my experience. It's also helpful. I always like the power numbers uh, right alongside the average draft position to kind of know a lot of times like which cards are kind of have been overdrafted or underdrafted. Um, I, I always felt like that gives a little bit of context, especially if you're trying to guess which cards might possibly come back to you. You know, a lot of those decisions that yes. take place in a draft are, are, are about, um, you know, you've got some difficult choices here, but you're likely going to take the card that you like this card. There's no way this card's getting back to me, but this other one might. And you're, you're kind of put, putting together some of your, your knowledge of, of the game of like, this one might actually, what, what, and what's the term for that? It's not wheel. What's when it comes back to you, uh, 
where you let a card go. I call it wheeling, personally. You, you call that wheeling? Yeah. I, like maybe this is just my little lesson from uh, my time on playagricola.com. I, I had not appreciated in my initial, you know, 30 plays of Agricola how good all of the little minor improvements that were like worth a point and gave you two to four food were. Like those always just seem like, yeah, it doesn't really do anything, whatever. But these cards showed uh-huh. up in winning hands all the time. They were sneaky good. Um, and that was an important lesson to me. Well, you know what? Just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you know what's funny, Trey, is that that was an exact blind spot of my own that I had when I was learning the game. After like my first year of playing, I was still not drafting that kind of card. I had to just like keep losing to it, and just like you, read the read the power ratings online to find out how badly I was undervaluing them. Well, it was also, that's one good, of the fun things that I actually went through yeah. the learning. Go ahead, Matt. One of the learning curves that I went through was actually really on my own deep diving into Agricola scoring and how it works and 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 really just sitting down with the physical game and like sco- like just making what I would consider to be a perfect farm and realizing that it's 36 points and realizing like, oh my God, a, th- a perfect farm is only 36 points. Like four stone rooms, all your, you know, all, all pastures, all fields, one of each animal and some vegetables, like something that's so hard for me to pull off, you know, a month ago in a game is only 36 points. And that's when you start realizing cards with points on them are really valuable because you work so hard for what you thought was a perfect farm. And it's, and it's, you know, a, a, a generally losing score anytime on, on, uh, you know, BGA. So like then really starting to looking at what is the difference between a 36 point farm and a 45-point farm, which is a decent game of Agricola, depending on when growth flips. And doing, uh, really like sitting down and doing, I started doing spreadsheets. I started like really writing down like, what is the, what is the difference between a 36-point farm and a 45-point farm? And what are the differences that I'm seeing in most people's games I'm watching? What are I'm not doing to achieve those things? And I've really like, after doing that work, I'm now averaging in the in the low 40s. Like I'm slowly changing that number from, you know, and it's all about realizing how few points you get from quote unquote beating the game in my own sense of like what I'm trying to achieve on my farm and realizing, you know, how many other ways those points can come from. So we're talking about this huge set of cards that are of varying degrees of, of power. Is this... Is this a problem? Or like is like I think a lot of times you hear people say these cards aren't balanced. Like, is that actually a problem in games? Or is this if it is a problem, does just drafting solve it? Uh Lumen, do you have any thoughts about like I, I just feel like you know, card balance, A, it's impossible. But let's let's actually talk about balancing cards. A, do we even want to? Is that important? Or is that kind of a false expectation anyway that we would have balanced cards? Is there an ideal? Yeah, so I do have a lot of opinions on this. Good. Um, having variable player powers in terms of different types of cards is really good for a game. It increases replayability, for me at least, a lot. If you're making the same decisions over and over again... Or if you're not getting, I, I saw in the show notes, you wrote Caverna as a response to a, a balance issue. Caverna is a game I felt like 
if I choose door A or door B, I'm getting the same number of points. Mm. So why do I care? Why am I playing the game? And for that kind of reason, it's really good to have different levels of power in cards or abilities because it allows room for skill to show itself, understanding of what's good and what's bad and choosing the better thing. Um, the danger in imbalance is when, in my opinion, you allow for too much variability in the outcomes from a single card or ability. You, you linked to an awesome thing about balancing for game designers, and there's this great idea of a balance curve here that you, that you wrote down, where things that cost a little should generally give low benefits, and things that cost a lot should generally give high benefits. For Agricola, in my opinion, there's a lot of room for, you know, design freedom when you're working with low cost, low benefit ideas. I think there's a lot of cool stuff and things you can design in Agricola that follow that. But when you have so many cards as options in Agricola, I think it's bad for the game when you give players extremely high cost, extremely high benefit ideas and options. So that's my opinion, is that if you go too far towards high cost, high benefit cards, I don't think that's good design for Agricola. Well, maybe you can expand on that. Like, what's what's the the danger there that uh, it becomes less interactive, or that it's just more of a like, hey, you got dealt the right cards, it's game over. When 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 certain things combine, yeah, that's a good point. I think it is more of the latter, where yeah, if you have something that's really high cost, high benefit, you're allowing one player to have this secret advantage because ideal, uh, you would think that kind of card gets drafted first in a draft mm -hmm. and therefore other players don't have a chance to have that ability. Um, and therefore, you know, that's... Yeah, I guess one thing that I was going to get to is that the Agricola community has kind of decided that there should be relatively equal opportunities for people to win the game. And I guess when I put it that way, it maybe seems a bit obvious, but it's a big goal when you have this many cards is that you don't want any single card to just win the game for you. Right. That almost by definition would be over overpowered. Um, it seems like there's, and I, I probably don't have the right terminology for this, but it seems to me like the, the, the ideal in this type of card balance would be that a card is allowed to be very powerful when it is actually difficult to play and skillful to play. Um, you know, um, like we, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of like maybe a card like, what is it, Sleeping Corner, where you have to have two grain fields, which may not sound like a lot, but is actually kind of like hard to get in place. Like you have to make major sacrifices. And I, I think this would probably be the thinking behind big something a card like big country but maybe they got the they got the payoff too high for what the actual mm -hmm. cost is would would be 
the the argument. So like that's but that's that's where those type of high power cards should live is with it's going to require you know what we would call high costs whether that's actual like literal resource cost or just that you've had to narrowly tailor your game in such a way that you've passed up all these other opportunities to do it. And then on the other hand you have stuff like braggart which is incredibly powerful card does not require much skill uh to to play and um and that's why it's banned. And it's also like rewarding you for doing the thing that you want to do anyway. Like there was no real mm-hmm. sacrifice of like, hey, you played a bunch of improvements and you know, in order to get these points. Yeah, you kind of want to do that anyway. Yeah, I guess to to further expand on the high cost, high benefit kind of card, it's I guess I would say it gets very, very difficult to correctly balance cards that give big benefits. It's oh, right, so this is where deemed... we're most likely to see a problem is if you're in this area. Yes. Whereas if they kind of keep their uh, their design goals limited in terms of of you know low benefit but low cost, we're kind of in a safer space design wise. Yes. Yeah. So for improvements, which is one of the type of cards for people who don't know Agricola, the improvements I think are great when like I think low cost, low benefit improvements are really great for the game. Uh, and people don't design enough of them, whether it be Uwe himself or the play agricultural community, like it's hard to find that kind of card. And then for occupations, because they have a pretty standard cost of just one action and one food, those probably can't live too much in the low benefit, but those, if they try to live in the medium benefit zone, it's very hard to be unbalanced. Hmm. All right, deep, deep cut question. I also find that... no, no, Matt. Let me have it. Let's hear from you. I've talked too much. Sure. I was. I was just saying. An interesting part of balance also is how capable are other players of preventing a powerful card from from uh, triggering, uh, while also not destroying their own game. So, like two cards to me that work very differently but are very powerful is like a card called Childless. I'm not going to get into the weeds of what it does, but to prevent and get in the way of a Childless player often is by doing things you'd want to be doing anyway. Um, and outside of taking one read, of course, but like doing preventing childless part of the fun of childless is you know getting trying to play it as quick as possible and and sort of dodging that minefield of all the different ways people can stop you from it. And the minute obviously people become aware of what you're doing, trying to get in your path, that's fun and 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 this level of challenge. Whereas anybody who tries to stop the big country player is going to detonate their game and the other person's game. And then the other two people are just going to win for the most part. So like, they're, you know, just like stealing plows, unless you have a really strong reason to do it to stop big country is only going to destroy your game. Um, so that's, that makes it very, there's no reason to stop them. They, they sort of then end up on this like uh, autopilot solo game, wherein you're just hoping things flip positively for you. So that you have a chance of beating them. And to me that, that is not that. That is where balance becomes an issue because it just sort of disrupts the whole game state. Lumen, yeah, I, I mean, I could I could get into reasons why big country is not really blockable in the current BGA situation, but it is actually a function of the revised edition of the game, how they created a slightly different set of requirements for the cards that create the decks and just the overall meta they created with the revised edition is kind of why big country is unfair currently. Hmm. 
Yeah, interesting. Right, so maybe this is a good time to kind of segue to the idea of a ban list then. Uh, you know, uh, currently there is a ban list for competitive play on Board Game Arena. It's, it's, it's only like three cards, four cards. How many cards is it? Four cards right now. It's four cards, but let's so let's talk about the idea of a of a of a ban list. Um, you've been involved in them, Lumen. I think I saw from one of your posts. You, I think one thing that you articulated was that any kind of ban list should probably be like community created, or it should be like the community should should decide. There should be consensus on this. And then we could also talk about like, well, what is a ban list actually supposed to do? What's the criteria for a ban list? Right. So the, the ban list really is there to enhance the enjoyment of the game. And to those ends, the, the two main types of things Agricola players want banned are cards that are too powerful cards that just win too easily. Um, and cards that are too annoying. So annoying, as I wrote in that forum post, is pretty objective, right? But it generally involves either being an attack card. Agricola players don't like the idea of being attacked by someone else's card. And cards that interrupt the family growth queue in a four-player game. Those are also banned for annoyance uh, just because of how critical family growth can be to most strategies. So maybe explain that for so, a newer, newer player, because that's a hard idea to understand. There's a certain amount of queuing up that hands... This is one of the big criticisms of Agricola. It's all about family growth. It's all about building your family. But there is a queue, in a sense. Like, you're making decisions about what costs will you pay in order to get in that build room's family growth queue. And so you think you're paying certain costs in order to get in line. And if a card breaks that it does feel unfair or annoying to use your, your terminology, right? Yeah, that, that's a really good explanation. And I guess to further expand on that, uh, family growth is important to snowball your engine in, I'll say, 95% of strategies. Uh, and the fact that the four-player Agricola game only has one space for the majority of the game for that to happen is means that if you don't take your turn when you can get it, you will be skipped for most of the game. You will not be able to snowball your game that way if you don't get in as quick as you can. So that's why that kind of card is considered annoying. There are many different kinds of economies in Agricola. The primary one may be the action economy. And so the family members that you have that give you more actions is the core of the game. Uh, or is arguably the core of the game. I think uh, the, one of the notes I had that I put uh, Caverna down in the show notes is I, th- I thought Caverna was a, a way that Uwe Rosenberg, uh, I wanted to do a whole different podcast on this one, but like how designers respond to criticism. You know, Agricola, it's this amazing game. It's my number one game. A lot of people really love it. A lot of people really hate it, but I, I almost felt like Caverna was a response game where it's like, okay, I'm going to keep a lot of the same things the, the same, but I'm going to make family growth less important. I'm going to give this alternative to it. And then the other thing I heard was, I can't learn all these cards. 
So you just replace them all with a much smaller group of tiles that will be the same in every game. And that's kind of like where we ended up in uh, Caverna. All right, that was a side note. Now we now return to our discussion about uh, cards and, and Well, card by the ballots. way, that totally worked for me because I was 100% saw Caverna when it was first announced. and was like, all right, they heard all my, I'm in. This is my game. I wanted this game. And then, yeah, it just did not, it did not click with our group in that way. I mean, we played it probably 50 times, so you know, we played it a ton. But um, yeah, overall, it did but not. But we're not add. playing Caverna. The three of us the, are not the, playing Caverna now. It certainly did not. No, although I, I I still have the Forgotten Folk expansion sitting on my shelf for like three years that I keep wanting to get to the table, but it's just not happening. So Lumen, uh, if if you're making a ban list, how do, how does how do we determine that something is too powerful? Right now, the ban list is four cards. Why isn't it bigger? So. In general, people have decided that they're not sick of seeing a certain card on the winning farm too much. And that is exactly what the power statistic measures. Uh, from experience, I think the Play Agricola community decided that a power rating between five and six happens to be where they start getting really annoyed at a card showing up on the winning board too much. So it was more or less accepted as a given that if a card's power statistic goes too high above five, it should be banned. So it's basically uh, a statistic that is calculated the same way over and over and people's experience saying, well, I'm really annoyed now and I'm noticing the number is like 6.2 and I'm not annoyed about this one, and its number is 4.8. So it, it's something more or less like that. So from evidence, the ban threshold should be somewhere between 5 and 6 power. Um, I've written on the Board Game Arena forums that if we get to calculate statistics again, we should try to find the biggest gap between two cards in that 5 to 6 zone and set the ban threshold between those two cards. Okay, but that's just my idea. I'm and not completely sure that, that actually works. Home, like the, this, this number five six seems pretty arbitrary. But what what in the end that's going to come down to what that given the current card pool, like this card's going to show up in the winner's board like six percent of the time if it has a power of six. Is that is that the right uh, so? Yes, if we assume that there are 500 cards in the set. So right. all of the powers are standardized to a 500 card set. Yeah, the, the handway version of it is, so who, is that who it... is sort of Sorry, I was just saying who who is pulling the strings right now on BGA? Like is is like, you know, in Magic the Gathering you've got, you know, a, a very, you know, rigid, you know, committee of people who are deciding this, often led by former pros, things like that. You know, BGA is obviously not Magic the Gathering, but like, you know, is is, is the future of online Agricola and BGA going to be decided by BGA, by the players of Agricola and BGA, or by the publisher or some combination of all three? I mean, in the end, it's the publisher and BGA who have control. Um, one thing I try to do, given 
my contacts with the publisher after going to the world championship and meeting them. Um, I've been able to talk to an admin or two on board game arena related to the Agricola release. Um, I try to tell them how paying attention to player concerns will continue to keep a lot of people playing Agricola on board game arena. And I think I'm correct about that. If people aren't listened to in terms of, oh, this bug is game-breaking and needs to be fixed. Oh, we would really like these cards banned. Though Paying attention to those from the publisher and Board Game Arena are really helpful towards creating uh, a continued player base, in my opinion. So I've, I've tried to emphasize that to them. All right, here's Good. a dumb trick question. Um, should we be pulling any cards out of the, out of the pool that are too weak? Like, if a guard is never played, does it belong in the card pool? I think the answer to that is a hypothetical yes. Uh, and in truth, if you look at the statistics that do exist, both on Play Agricola and BGA, never has a card really... Well, in the old set there were, but never in the revised set has there been a card so bad that it doesn't get played by someone trying to use it. It gets played by, so and, and, the, and it ends the, up in some winning boards. Every card ends up in some winning boards. Given enough time, I think that's yeah. almost completely true. Yeah. For the revised edition. Hmm. So one, I think the best way to counteract, or instead of banning the super weak cards, is to just increase your draft size a little. And I think that's actually why... Uh, instead of just drafting piles of seven, the draft piles got bigger, both on Play Agricola and right now on BGA. You can draft a pile starting with more than the cards than that people will end up with, and therefore the weakest cards or least effective cards for your strategy get automatically filtered out, and you have a choice. You can either try to play this usually weak card, or now you have a chance to try to show what you can do with it. Like we're currently at eight, right? Like that's the official rule right now. The, the the pile is eight, and you're saying you could go larger than that, maybe. Yes, if you have a higher proportion of weak cards in your pool, setting the draft amount higher will effectively ban those if you don't want to play with them. And would that work then that because it is important that you start the game with seven ox and seven miners. So do you think you'd you, like say you did a 10 round of the thing, you'd still then you'd have to add an additional and now discard down to seven at the end. Was that is that how that would work? Yeah. Think? Yeah. That's how it works right now in arena. You we draft eight and, you know, you always you're, you always end with four cards and you're tossing two of them, keeping two. But you're deciding the only the, the card you're tossing is between your last two. You can't decide after, oh, yes. you know what? After all, I didn't really want to, this card I took third. I'm actually going to ditch it. Right, like that, right, no, that, right. That's, this is, we're, we're getting in, into the weeds here. Uh, Lumen, let me, let me ask you your, your, your thoughts on this. Um, one of the, we were talking about how this is similar to uh, collectible card games, uh, TCGs, that type of thing. Is part of the, like, I know for me, but is part of the ongoing success of Agricola is actually a changing card pool? Or do you think that there's some, like, ideal that we want to get to and then kind of freeze it? 
Uh, I think as long as more cards are being published for the revised edition, I would like to add as many as possible and then ban the bad ones. Uh, not the bad power ones, but the badly uh, balanced ones and annoying ones. But what's the so, ideal? Where are you going to end up in, in, in Lumen's perfect world? In, on BGA, in eight years, I would hope to see uh, gamers created cards form revised edition decks and be published and then implemented on Board Game Arena. And I would like the remaining 480 revised edition already published cards to be implemented on Board Game Arena with approximately 10 of them banned, maybe 20. And so just the structure, think... just the structure of Arena also makes uh, so many possibilities for keeping the meta fresh too, because every season can have different combinations. Like, oh wow, this season we're just doing you know artifacts and babulcuous or whatever, or this season it's all the cards. Or I mean, that instantly changes the entire game and makes it almost a whole new game to to you know find a meta within, which is. You know, I mean, the, the fact that they, if they keep seasons going, I, I think, you know, once the part, the card pool is, you know, at, at a huge threshold, they can just keep changing. They almost do that in Terra Mystica with maps, you know, it's like each arena season will have a different, you know, map setup or, you know, things like that. And that totally changes the meta and, and I think really rewards the overall skilled players as well and, and, and forces everybody to get creative and have fun. Right. The cool thing about, arena mode on board game arena is that they always let the arena format be decided by what they call the gurus uh, <laughs> if you're one of the top x percent of players for a certain game you become a guru for that game and one of the benefits of being a guru is to uh, help decide the next season's arena format and i think the other benefit is that the admins play, pay closer attention to that group of players hashtag life goals I mean, I'm not a guru for Agricola. I don't play enough on board what? game arena. What? What? That's what? Well, who is then? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but I'm sure there are tons of two player grinders and people playing four games a day. I would look to those people to likely uh, be the gurus. Future guru. Okay, so maybe as um, a, a final question here, circling back to you know. Uh, your original thread on board game arena talking about like why we look at the numbers, why we look at the data. We've talked about the cards. Now, do we want to talk about player order in Agricola? Cause I was pretty shocked. Now I admit not a huge, not a huge, huge, huge sample size. You had some pretty big caveats on the data there, but it seemed like there were some pretty big advantages to going first in Agricola, or at least to not going last. Do we want to talk about that? Uh, sure. So, I mean, that's definitely part of game balance as well. Um, and I am not a player who gets too concerned about the imbalance in starting seat. Um, as the data shows, there does seem to be about a point lost on average per game when you sit in fourth seat compared to the earlier seats, first or second. Um, it has something to do with knowing your seat before the draft versus not knowing your seat until mm -hmm. after the draft is over. Uh, on Play Agricola, the balance is a little different. 
Second seat is by far the best there, where on Board Game Arena, when you do know before the draft, first seat becomes better. Um, So there's a lot of variables in there that I don't think are really fully explored, but I think it's fair to say there's definitely a disadvantage to going fourth based on the data. And when I said you, on average, get a point worse, that's a disadvantage that is actually more like an eight-point disadvantage one out of eight games, more so than an average one point every game. At least that's what my experience would say. The worst part about being fourth is that you just don't have your choice for a long part of the early game, and that's pretty bad when you want to snowball your engine. Right. So one of the... So maybe... I get, I, at this point, listen, if you're still with us, you probably know how to play this game. But, you know, what might account, like when you, if, if it was a little different on the playagricola.com site and their community, like a, a difference in the rules is that the starting player in Agricola does get one less food. So the second player does start with one more food. And so like the difference between the two occupation slots means that that might be enough of a compensation. Like it, it probably is enough of a compensation that doesn't do, but that doesn't do enough for the fourth player. The data seems to, to back that up. Um, it also, I wonder like how much of it is dependent upon what the actual card pool is rather than just being something that's hardwired into the engine of the game. For example, when you're talking about the frustrations of getting going as as being in fourth player, it seems to me like if you really want to address that problem, you could do that by changes in the card pool. For example, if you had more minor improvements that didn't have a cost. Now, I'm sure there's good examples of why my, a lot of minor improvements don't, you know, like almost none have zero cost. But it would be easier as fourth player to take starting player in round one Although, again, how often does it even get to the fourth player with their second action? I mean, one? I, I'm really in the weeds here. Yeah, it, right. It, it's, an, it's a good idea. And I think uh, the newer set of cards on BGA has a lot more of those type of free minor improvements or really cheap ones. And if we get a next data poll relating to all the games that have been played in the last three months or whatever that will be a lot more enlightening about the true disadvantage to going forth and seeing if that difference is indeed hardwired in the game or a function of the card pool. My guess is that it's partially a function of the card pool, but majority hardwired in the game. I, I would also add that from, you know, from a, a, a low to average skilled player's perspective, I actually think the 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 different starting positions are fun um and 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 i will also agree that going forth i do feel slightly disadvantaged but knowing i'm going forth while drafting makes a fun experience sometimes for me as a, as a newer player at least it's like okay well this card that normally would be a weaker card is actually a little stronger for me because i'm going to be betting on a slower game plan so i can sort of take these lines here that might you know seem definitely weaker if I was going first or second, things like that. So that that to me is actually a part of the variability and the fun of it. The, the more you start learning the game, you're like, oh, actually, this is a pretty good fourth seat opening. And that's actually kind of interesting. And and people will expect me to do this. And I, you know, it gives you some room to zig and zag a little more than you can. When you're going first seat 
and you know certain cards appear in your first pack you have no choices you you have to take them if you you know things like that happen so in fourth seat i I find out often i can be like all right i'm the underdog let's get weird and and that can often be a really fun experience i just i thought of this data a lot uh recently playing um arc nova because we had some discussions that, you know, we had the kind of dumb discussions that people always have when you're first playing a game. Cause it seemed like there, like there's a, in Arc Nova, you know, there is some compensation for people that are lower in the turn order. It does not seem to be enough. That's our initial impressions. There seem to be some rather extreme start player advantages. Um, but I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of like, of that we're now moving into the era of board game arena and digital play where we can just like let the data speak, you know, that something that a game can get out there, can get on a platform. You can let it run for six months on board game arena, get a really large data pool and then actually tweak based upon that. Because like the idea that any designer, any publisher is going to be able to play test these games and achieve anything like perfect balance like that's never been reasonable and i like this idea of of not of maybe most like more power shifting the community or even just let letting the data speak for tweaking the game as we go and that's something that agricola has done really well is kind of tweaking the game as we go because you have this flexible tool of the, of the card pools themselves yeah i will say that in the past uh there have been a couple game designers which have been shown to me do listen a lot to expert players when playtesting. Specifically, I want to shout out uh, Through the Ages, the newest, the newer version of Through the Ages. The publisher took a long listen to the expert players. Uh, my friend AJ Jang, shout out to him, who's won WBC in that game, or won big tournament in that game, uh, helped Vlada balance the new edition and i think it's well i haven't played it much myself but according to all the high level players i know it's fantastically balanced partially as a result of the publisher listening to the top players yeah that 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 uh revised edition of it or that sort of expansion to it was a revelation i thought and I, it's one of my favorite games of all time based purely on that and i'm not a competitive player of the game although i've gone through phases where i play it a lot um but you could even feel like the difference of like oh this feels like really creative and interesting now whereas before you felt like you had a couple roads a couple lanes to choose and you you sort of had to stick to those and instantly within one or two games you were able to realize like oh wow no no this is wildly expansive now and fun and then trey and i decided we could not play it anymore because it was stressing us out too much that's not exactly the logic of it. I think we, I think we, we, we got obsessed we with the game. right when the pandemic started. Yeah, it's, it's just when we and played we were like, game, we don't need this in our lives right now. One friend always ends up being the wildebeest. Like the, the mechanisms of that game means that like one one player gets cannibalized by the other three, and that's just not a fun experience for one of our friends or or us. It's, sometimes it's it's us and. Um, and that is an advantage of, of Agricola is like, uh, even when I lose, I often had a great time. I don't feel necessarily brutalized by the game. I often feel like, oh, that was a great game, even though I, 
came in fourth or whatever, I, I still had a, had a, had a great time. That's not the, that's not my mindset. A lot of times at the end of, of through the ages, but I, I do think that, that is very fair. It, it, it is, it is a, is a fantastic um, game. And it's one where I would kind of like want to see the numbers. I would like to see uh, that, that data sometimes, if only just to challenge my own uh conceptions of it but i think like it is a good comparison to agricola in that we do have like this giant card pool and if when it's working well it's not that there are good cards and bad cards it's here's the card pool how well did you combine your cards like that's the skill of like you have these things that are all in play or in the same ballpark of power and then it's like did you use them skillfully in combination is somewhat one of the things that we might call skill all right. Any final yeah. thoughts on on or anything that that you wanted to hit on Lumen here, talking about uh, numbers and stats and and the playing of Agricola? I mean, I we've made so, this really attractive for people. Go out here and study the data and become a better Agricola player. So the one mechanism for balancing start position in a lot of games is auctions, and I did want to just quickly say that with a draft an auction won't really help agricola mm-hmm. and even if you could auction it wouldn't be enough like that there isn't enough difference in the seats to really care about as i said it was like a mm. one point difference yeah. so you can't have four people try to auction like fractions of a point it's it's not usually going to work but uh, i just wanted to mention that as a thing you could think about that doesn't really work for Agricola. No. And the and that's I'll just like the draft in. is awesome in Agricola. And like, that's not something that was really exactly there at the beginning. Like the current form of draft is part of the secret of the success. Like it is so much fun just to participate in the draft before you've made a single move in the game. Go ahead, Matt. Yep. Yeah, no. Uh, and yeah, and, and what's awesome about it is like, you know, I love Magic the Gathering and my favorite format of Magic the Gathering is, uh, you know, uh, drafting cards and building decks and 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 playing, you know, just Friday Night Magic. And and this is the heavy Euro version of that that I always looked for. And I, I didn't know it was designed 15 years ago until recently. Um, but yeah, I, you know, uh, regardless of, of, of Lumen's accolades in Agricola, of which there are many, uh, he to me is the premier ambassador of the game. And uh, I, I would like to thank him for being such a good ambassador. And for so many years of putting this thing in my head of like, you know what, this game is really interesting. I should look into it. And when I finally did, um, you know, I, we, we've talked a lot about statistics and competitiveness with the game, but at the end of the day, the only reason I play a game is because it's fun, and I've had more fun learning and playing Agricola than I've had in years with any other game, and that's been really enjoyable. So, you know, hopefully anybody listening to this, even if one person or two people listening to it go like, you know what, I'm going to check this out. This sounds this sounds worth the time. Uh, a phrase that gets thrown around a lot on our podcast is the juice is worth the squeeze. This there has never been a, a squeeze more juicy to me than Agricola, and that's I think as high of a compliment as I can give a game. So I hope you, uh, if you are interested in checking it out, to me it's just as simple as I've ne- I don't think I've ever had as much fun playing a game. Well, thanks, Lumen. Um, you on Twitch, you are Lumen underscore S. Is that right on that's Twitch? Correct. I'm, I'm yep. following. I get the notifications. You know, when Matt's ignoring my uh, text messages, I know I can jump on uh, your, your streams and then and reach him there. 
And uh, good luck. The lumens uh, become like a part of my like work work routine now. I, I you know I have two monitors, so I'm writing, and you know I just sort of leave Twitch up, and when he pops up, I'll just sort of check in for a few minutes, and then you know uh, minimize the screen, go back to working for a little bit. And when I need a little writing break, I'll check back in, see how he's doing. It's it's he, he's like the the friend in my office that he doesn't know is there. Like he has no idea that he's like my <laughs> office co-mate some mornings. How many more days? That was of, actually uh, one of you have. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say really quick that uh, you would not be the first person to tell me that, Matt. I think I'm actually <laughs> a lot of people's uh, office friend. Like That's whether awesome. I'm just like my stream is coming through the headphones only if they need to focus on something else mostly. But yeah, that's actually a common one I get because of the time that I stream is midday US. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Trey, you were asking how long the arena season. Yeah, how many more days do you have left? I was just going to wish uh, you luck. Oh, thanks. We've got about a week left as of the recording day. I don't know how hard I'll be grinding. So, are you? Are, is there a final push? You're contemplating a final push, or uh, what? Are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking about it. Just in the fact that I could try to make a final push. Um, yeah, I've I've got you know relatively busy work schedule compared mm-hmm. to my usual recently, and you know. I might or might not be obsessing with some other games that I don't want to talk about. And, you know. Oh, really? Uh, okay. w- w- does the next season start right away or is there uh, like a buffer? There should be about a week buffer. Cool. Gotcha. I'm excited yeah, to see that? what the format's going to be. I'm, I'm very curious if they're going to switch it up at all. If only we knew a guru who could tell us what was, what was coming. I know. I've got to find a guru. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, know, Lumen. Look who's playing a game right now and stock one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Tom Donnelly, Ben Mandelker, and me, Trey Alsop. Thanks to Edamaros Peleg for our art. You can check him out at herberloni.com. And thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know them as Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us at, by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games.